This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, it's Good News Tuesday-ish, and a listener here on the Shift shares a beautiful random act of kindness, breakfast from a stranger. What if we told you the hardest part of publishing a book comes after you write the book? Yep, writing a book is hard. Publishing it, even harder. Hank Quetz helps us understand everything that goes into being an author and publishing your books. He decided to become an author at the age of 50, and then he helps us with some basics of getting into writing and publishing a book. And are you okay with having house guests? What about staying at hotels? You got it. Plus uh, hotel beds for home. Turns out to be a thing. This is the Shift Podcast. Good news, everyone. It's about time for some good news. Oh, 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 yeah. Tell me something good. Look up for some good. 877-399-9898. Tell me something good. What is your good news? Good news makes good news, babies. The more we think of it, the more it occurs to us, the more we share it, the more we think of it, and so on and so forth. What is your good news? Got some text messages I'd like to get to you. Um, won some Eric Clapton tickets, which is good news for my son, David, and my lovely bride, Kelly. I've seen him four times previously. I've not seen him before, so I'm very happy to give them that first experience, Glenny and the schwa. Hey, Glenny, congratulations. Good news Tuesday here. Um, good news. I received my Logan Boulay effect t-shirt in advance of green shirt day, April 7th. What a nice way to celebrate this young man and all the good he did and all the awareness he created. I'm sure Logan would be smiling together and strong, Humboldt strong. Um, yeah, good. Uh, green shirt day is coming up on the seventh. The crash was five years ago, by the way, the Humboldt crash is the sixth and We've had uh, Toby on, which is Logan's dad, many times. If you want to listen back to the podcast, it was last week or so that he was on most recently. And he um, shared the story of how Logan signed up to be an organ donor before that crash happened and greatly impacted, saved some lives and changed the lives of six or seven people. Now, the ripple effect, the Logan Boulay effect of that has spilled over um, and it does continue today. So the uh, five years ago, that crash with Humboldt, uh, the Humboldt Broncos, it's hard to believe it was five years ago. It feels like yesterday, doesn't it? But the good news coming up with your text message uh, about supporting that and getting the T-shirt. Uh, green Shirt Day is about wearing green to do that. They don't, it's, it's interesting the way they go about that. They don't say you have to buy a shirt. If you want to support the charity, buy the shirt. But just wear green on Green Shirt Day, April 7th. Um, good news, 630 Chad. Finished talking about the Oilers. Now the shift is on. Hey, welcome, Edmonton. Well done. All right, 877-399-9898. What is your good news? My good news is Terry from Calgary is very patient. Hi, Terry. Hi there. How are you? Good. Thank you for your patience with us, Terry. You've been waiting a while. Hey, no problem. Um, I had the most amazing thing happen to me. I was in a little diner in Calgary in Bridgeland. Mm-hmm. Blue Star Diner, just so you know. Uh, and I'm a senior, and I was just sitting quiet, having my breakfast and reading my paper. And this girl and guy were sitting beside me. I didn't have any contact with them. And they got up and left. And 
the waitress came over with coffee and she said, I just want you to know those people just paid for your breakfast. Wow. Like total stranger, total stranger. And when I looked at him, like he was fairly king cut, but he was covered in tattoos. Right. And I thought, oh, that's okay. But when they left, they paid for my breakfast. He said, he said, I reminded him of his mom. Unbelievable. So I I love that you, I love that you, um, you also share the fact that that stereotype did roll through your head too, because I mean, that happens to us. I mean, and when we acknowledge it, that's how we start to set it free. Right. So, I mean, the, the fact that it rolled through your head is also good to share too. So how did it make you feel? Terry, when when you found out, because I'm assuming it kind of hit you, uh, how did well, it make yeah, you feel? Because they didn't stay, right? Like he said, no, no you know, we're going to leave. So because he didn't want a big fuss or anything, I was in tears. I couldn't really? believe that somebody would do that. Like hmm. that's a that's an incredible thing to sit down and have your breakfast with somebody and actually think about somebody else. When was the last time um, you someone bought you breakfast? Oh, I don't know. My husband never get, brought me breakfast, so there you go. <laughs> That's been a minute. Um, and what was for breakfast, Terry? Oh, uh, they have uh, buttermilk pancakes with bacon on the side and coffee. Oh. They have the best coffee, period. There you go. It's beautiful. And good luck getting uh, this seat there because it's busy. Yeah, Ryan gave the thumbs up, but he likes that place that, that you shared that. So, okay, so here's what I want you to do, Terry. Will you dance with me on this a little bit? Sure. I want you to pretend that you're speaking to that guy, the tattoo guy that bought you breakfast. Okay. And the all the shift heads will be that guy or, or, or the gal he was with or whatever. I want you to speak to him. What would you say to him? I would say you gave me the most incredible gift that there are still people out there who are kind and caring and that with all this doom and gloom that we're going through, you know, that um, it was absolutely an incredible gift. Mm. And I don't know if he even realizes, you know, how much it meant to me. I want you to say that again, except I want you to say, I don't think you realize how much it meant to me. Yeah, I don't think you realize how much it meant to me. I mean, the staff were just shocked that that he would do that. Yeah. It hits different, hey, when you say it that way, when you when you actually acknowledge and say it to the person as opposed to, you know, people don't realize versus you don't realize. Like, it hits us in the heart different. Did you feel that? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so uh, please take that with you, Terry, that that um, that gratitude that you're experiencing, the fact that you're sharing it is just beautiful to me. And the, the fact that you're 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 putting yourself out there and sharing it to all of us is also beautiful. But please take that with you, that when we share our gratitude, we often are vague and we we rob ourselves of the emotion when we're vague, when we're specific and we say, I want to say thank you. You don't realize because we we kind of we kind of sidestep the emotion when we say you know people don't realize or or you this and we don't really say I and we don't specifically say it. So will you take that from this and and because I, I could feel the difference when you said that you could hear it in your voice. 
Oh, um, yeah. Will you take that with your gratitude and, and, and all of us can take that too, that when we're specific, when we say thank you, it, it just, it hits that much deeper. And you know what? Don't judge a book by its cover. <laughs> Amen right? to that, eh? Yep. You okay. got it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Terry. Appreciate you. Okay. You have a good night, too. Thank you very much, Terry. 877-399-9898. Terry in Calgary right there. Got some free breakfast. What is your good news? Share it. You can hear it. Um, it changes everything, doesn't it? Good news. The ants have invaded my kitchen. <laughs> oh, that's not good. Must be Steve. Um, I'm using my homemade non-toxic ant killer bait. Bye-bye, ants. All right. Curious what that looks like. Um, I did take Steve's advice when I had ants on my front steps. I used the boiling water, which is not good because it kills the ants, of course, but, um, they did come back, but it took them a long time and they moved and it, it was, it was good. So I didn't use the poison poison. Mm -hmm. Um, I love hearing random acts of kindness, like what happened with Terry. That was a beautiful story. Yeah, it was. That's, um, that's what good news is all about. Gail is in Toronto. Hi, Gail. Hi there. I've got two pieces of good news. Great. My brother had his shoulder replaced. Whoa. And it's been a month, and everything is going well, and I touch wood as I say it. He's a good patient. Yeah, he's, he's doing what he's told, is he? Oh, absolutely. For once nice. in his life. Yeah. My other piece of good news, I think I called in quite some time back, and mentioned my young neighbors across the hall who have been ordering my groceries with theirs all through COVID. Mm -hmm. And they recently told me that they were looking at a place they might move. And last night she phoned and told me they decided not to move, and that's my good news. Oh, you get to keep your neighbors for a little bit longer. I do. So what was the impact of them ordering the groceries for you, Gail? Because I know that it was efficient, it was helpful, but it also saved a little bit of money, if I remember correct. What was the impact on you? Um, I was very grateful, and I'm much older than they are, so it, was, it could be difficult. And um, I think that, uh, you know, there was a couple of times when there was a substitute item. Mm -hmm. And I got introduced to a different brand of something. There were, there were a lot of pluses, and there have been a lot of pluses with this lovely relationship for me. Mm -hmm. And Another the fact that I know they're in there, and if I need them, they're there. That gives you peace of mind? Oh, absolutely. Ah, see, there you go. There's the magic, isn't it? Yep. Love yep. it. Gail, thank you. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, Gail in Toronto right there, 877-399-9898. Uh, what is your good news? That is so kind from a stranger. How wonderful to share a good event. Possibly it'll encourage others to pay it forward. Uh, this happened to me at many drive throughs Small thing um, with a huge impact. Absolutely it is. If you can do it, if it's financially possible for you, not everyone could do that. But sometimes um, even the person you do it to doesn't need it per se. This is the Shift Podcast. You should write a book. How many times you've heard that, right? And then we also say, I should write a book. I've been through whatever. Uh, it's true. You probably should write a book, by the way. And I'm not one that um, believes or subscribes to this whole 
should on people. Don't shut on people. That's incredibly important. My guest right now, his name is Hank, Hank Quince. He's from uh, New Jersey down in the States, and he writes books, but he's sick of writing books. So he wants you to write them instead. Hey, Hank. Oh, yeah. Well, everyone writes a book now. Everyone's writing yeah, it seems today. Like but uh, the problem with writing a book is that most people, when they write a book, they figure, well, you write a book. That's the whole thing. But it's, yeah. it's not. It's not yeah, the whole writing thing. a book is a commitment to a long-term multi-phase project you know first mm-hmm. you gotta do you gotta plan the book and you write the book and you gotta publish the book and you gotta market the book right and the last it's two a, are usually a surprise to author. yeah well it's a long-term relationship hank i mean people don't realize that if yes. you write a book and if it's uh you know readhanksbook.com they don't realize that you've got to be able to fund that website and pay rent on that website and have it be up to date for the rest of its life if you really want to continue to sell and market the book. There's all kinds of basic business things that have to be there, and that's just one little example. Yes, that is. So that's the other thing. After you write a book, you don't realize it, but you become the CEO of a new company, and the mm. purpose of that company is to market and sell the book. Mm. You have to make business decisions, not ego decisions. Yeah, well, that's that's a whole other conversation and interview, isn't it? Um, I all sorts the, of stuff we can talk about here. I love it. This is great, Hank. So, okay, so let's let's talk about quickly the basics of of the book, right? Um, that if we go and write a book, there's two ways that I understand anyway that this could unfold. I've written a book, and the book either I go publish it, sell it, distribute it, do that, or I hire a publisher to do that. But that could even just be a term contract. It might not last forever. I know, yeah. Okay. Well, you got the big guys, or you got the independents, you know, the small ones. Uh, they're quite easy to get get a contract with, but in many cases, they're a, a one-person shop. Right. The guy gets sick or he retires, you know, your book is out of print. Right. And you got to start all over again. Okay. So where do we, uh, how should we, this sounds like it's a big task. I mean, let's start about writing first. I guess that's kind of where this all starts. You've written a bunch of books and, and you've learned a ton through the process. So you have a lot to offer here for all of us. Tell me about your writing and why writing mattered to you first. Let's start there. I don't know. I've always been good at writing. And, uh, when I was 50 years old, I had a couple beers and I decided that my next career would be writing. I was a sales manager at the time. And I, Figured it was only a matter of time till they tapped me on the shoulder and told me to take a hike. They want my office with some young kid. So I said, wow. I'm going to write. I'm going to be a writer. So I started. I, I always liked writing. So that's what I did. But you've written like more than 30 books, though. Around there, yeah. Also, Around that. Also, that's amazing. I, I lost count. <laughs> also, well, that's just it. Is You know you've written a lot of books when you don't remember how many books. Yeah. Also, 45 <laughs> short stories. Oh, man. And both fiction and nonfiction, right? Yes, about about twelve of each, fifteen of each, something like that. Oh, that's amazing! Did you have a favorite between, you know, writing in the fiction and the fantasy world, or or getting down to business and nonfiction? Well, I don't know. I I I, st- I wrote a lot of fiction, and the last novel I wrote, I could feel that my enthusiasm for for writing fiction was it was kind of dropping off. You know, I was losing it. Interesting. That's when I switched cool. to nonfiction. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's great. Great thing to recognize. Um. And then did you self-publish your own books from the beginning or did you hire someone? My first two books were put out by a small publisher, a small publishing company. And that was such a bad experience to me. I decided to go self-publish everything. Really? Hey. Yeah. It was, it was really a bad uh, situation. 
So when you self-published, you you have your own capital to print and everything, hey? Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, it's cost money. Yeah. You know, what you, well, that the risk well, is yours, so you tend to work harder, though. Yeah, self-publishing means that you, the author, are the publisher, and you got to do everything a publishing company would do if you sold them the book. You got to get them a cover. You got to get it professionally edited. Both of those things cost money, and you know, you know, you got to become very familiar with the with the packages like Kindle, you know, Amazon, and all of that. It's a, a lot of research required. First time, anyway. After you get it down the first time, the second one's a lot easier. I bet. Yeah, first one's a real learning experience. <laughs> yeah, I uh, and that doesn't even get into audiobooks and all the other things that are going on in the background too, because yep. there's there's that. Okay. Um, now this sounds scary to people, Hank. So let's reset that back to why it is a great opportunity. If you've got a book inside you, what? Why is it a good opportunity? Because you want people to have these you know, sort of ideas of whiteboards of here's how you go through the process. So um, why is it a good idea to write a book? Why does it matter? Why does it matter? Well, it's something you want to do. It's, you know, you, if you want to write a book, you got to feel it inside yourself. You know, if it's just a hobby, or, you know, or something you do part time, it probably won't work. It's something you got to really feel that you want to do it because it is a hell of a lot of work. So you really got to want to do it in order to be successful and get the book finished. You know, if you think about it, everyone says they're going to write a book. Hardly anybody ever starts it. And the ones that start that only a real few people finish it. So if you finish a book, you've done something that everyone wants to do, but hardly anybody ever really completes. So it's an accomplishment. Yeah, and let's let let's sit with that for a second because that is important to actually get it done. Um, we could apply that to uh, really all tasks in life, like a yeah. relationship or a marriage or or having a dog. Like you've got to be able to live it out and live for it because it sounds like that when you describe it that way, Hank. Like it yeah. it sounds like a bit of a, a relationship. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's huh. a long well, it's a long term relationship you got to have with that book. You're probably yeah. going to end up hating it. Well, you know, it's you've brought me to this crossroads. I love to write as well. And, and you've brought me to this crossroads of a couple of things I've been in front of lately. I was faced with this notion about marriage and allow me this metaphor of, of it's not really a sidebar. It's a metaphor for what it is. And, and I, it was a, like a man's channel, like men talking to men yep. about being responsible men and gentlemen and husbands and all that stuff. And the way the guy described it was that he said, I'm not, I'm not marrying her to have her we've got, you've got the wrong finish line. My finish line is to die with her. My finish line is not to marry her. And I, I, I found that rather profound. I was like, okay, see, that's a completely different look. If the goal is to die married to her, then that means your finish line is completely way down the road as opposed to getting married, which I think is how many people look at it. Oh, she said, yes, we got married. I'm done the work now. It's kind of like the way you describe the long-term relationship of a book that writing the book takes a ton of work to get the engagement part, get it done. But when the book is done, that's when the marriage begins. Yeah. And the, you have to have that same long-term look. I feel like that's very similar. Yeah. Two, two points here. When you finish the writing, that's when the work begins. Because if you really want to write a book, writing a book is fun. Mm -hmm. After the book is finished, that's when the hard work begins. And the second thing, going back to what you said about marriage, I told my grandkids, the greatest thing you can do in the world is to find someone wonderful and grow old with them. That's mm -hmm. what I did with my wife, who I just recently passed away. But uh, you know, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's what I did. You know, and I think I really believe it. You know, like we grew old together, 
and we loved it. Oh, it's beautiful. Can you uh, can you share your wife's name so I at least can call her by name? Yeah, Pat. Patrice. Pat. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's my mom's name. Oh. Um, that's cool. Well, um, what was your favorite thing since um since you brought up Pat? Can you just tell me one thing that your favorite thing about Pat that helped you give you the space to chase this career after fifty? <laughs> that's interesting. You know, uh, I was I was writing, and you know, and she was she was okay with that. You know, I was doing it part time, but then I had this spectacular offer for early retirement. And I said, I want to, I want to retire. I want to want to take this offer and be a full-time writer. And she said, okay, if that's what you want to do, do it. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. But what she didn't say is don't make me read the books. <laughs> she, she does not like what I write, what I write or what I read. She writes, she reads completely different books than what I. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's so good. All right. So, you know, this is neat because it allows us, Hank, some context inside all things writing. I mean, even inside your house, you're writing and you don't necessarily, you have a cheerleader for writing, but necessarily not necessarily for reading, which is, which is really great. So you're not joking when you say the work really begins after the writing is done. I can hear that in the, just, I, I, what you create for me is to be able to imagine walking into your house, Pat's there, you know, you've got maybe grandkids around, whatever. And that's when you realize, okay, well, I've got a great story here. Now I've really got to get down to the brass tacks and get this moving. That's true. Yeah. Wow. This was quite a shock to me the first time I self-published the book. Yeah. Okay. Well, how do we, uh, how do we reduce that shock for everybody else and, and kind of learn here, Hank? How can we what? How do we reduce that shock of that first book? Because you have ideas on how we can how we can well, yeah. learn from you to do this. The the first thing, you know, the way to reduce the shock is to to recognize that it will be there. Don't think the book is once you finish writing the book that it's over. You know, that's when that's when the work really starts. But I think the problem with many authors is they don't realize that. That's why it's a shock to them. But if you go into this writing a book and you understand that. Once you finish it, you're going to have to hard, do a lot of hard work on publishing and marketing. Um, mm. It's better then you you know you you understand the situation, and it's the you've got a lot of work on publishing whether you have a publisher or whether you self-publish it, and the marketing occurs no matter how the book is published. Right. Um, it reminds me a lot of the music industry. I've had so many friends that want to record an album or record a song. Mm-hmm. They get the album done. And then they realize, okay, well, I have a bunch of MP3 files or a CD or whatever. And then now they don't have an album cover. They don't have yeah. um, all those yeah. bits and pieces to share it with the world. Because yeah. that sharing is the most important part. Yeah. It's the same as writing a book. You know, you got to get a cover. You got to get an editor and all that. You know, the same is pretty similar to what, the, you know, creating a song. Yeah. Fascinating. So how do we how do we take this and learn from this, um, Ala, your whiteboard notions about sharing this book because you said to me in the very beginning you said you know you've written a bunch of books and now it's time for other people to write the books and you to help them so how do we help them well it's i've written books on fiction writing and i've written books on self-publishing and marketing and i got this idea about doing a new book on publishing and marketing just those two things not writing the book what happens after the i got this idea to do this but I don't want to write a book. I'm, mm. I've written enough books. I, I'm looking <laughs> for a new challenge, you know, something new yep. to do, something that I can learn. So I've always liked whiteboards. You know, I use them a lot on my iPad and a pencil. I'm always scribbling on a whiteboard. And I said, why don't I tell this story about what you got to do to 
publish and market a book, do it with whiteboards, maybe a dozen whiteboards, quite involved. And, uh, you know, use that instead of writing a book. You know, so people will be this like a video. They'll have graphics, they'll have text, they'll have videos, you know, they'll have audio tracks. There's all sorts of stuff you can do with these whiteboards. So I decided that's my new project. And I started and I started this week and uh, well, late last week. And I've, this is not as easy as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken me four tries to get the first damn thing, you know, works halfway yeah. decent. So, yeah. but, so this is fun though. I'm learning, you know, I'm learning how to use the whiteboard stuff and uh, I'm using Canva, by the way, a, a C-A-N-V-A site. Yeah. I explored several sites and Canva is, some of them might be better with Canva to make the whiteboards, but they don't have the publishing uh, options that Canva does. Canva, I can take a whiteboard, they'll give me the code and I can put that into a website. Hmm. None of the other uh, sites that I know I've looked into can do that or will allow me to do that. So can't That's the one I'm going with. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many grandpas are uh, working into uh, whiteboard code and websites these days. I'll just acknowledge that for a second, Hank. That's that's fantastic. Yeah. That's great. Um, what about graphics then? So are you drawing it yourself or are you just going to build the shape of it and then just get someone to do it? Well, the graphics would be – well, a lot of the graphics you can get right from Canva. Canva's got – gazillion graphics I can use and you can modify them. You know, they got all this templates and all I got. A, it's an amazing site. It's a matter of me picking the graphics and there'll be text and text boxes and mind maps and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah that's cool. All oh, mind mapping is so much fun. <laughs> um, can you kick it out as a, uh, as a video at that point and then put it in like a YouTube video or would you just uh, put it in your website? Probably in a website with several pages, you know, but I figure about a dozen pages, dozen different pages, and each one linked so you can go, you know, just click and go from page to page. Yeah. And with a table of contents that says these three pages are for publishing, these eight pages are for marketing, and, you know, yeah. covering a, a separate context, you know, with each page. I like this. I like this because when I have a book, I tend to have, like, if I was reading one of your books, you know, your business basics for authors or book marketing fundamentals or all these different ones, self-publish a book in 10 steps, all these different things that you've done. Um, I feel like I've got your book in one hand and then I've got my notebook in the other hand and I'm sort of transcribing ideas, but I'm still not in front of the machine doing the actual work uh, with this notion that you have here. It leads me to believe that I can sort of just have this browser open in the corner follow along, do my work. And then it's, it's right in front of me and I'm getting work done right away. I feel like I'm removing a bunch of steps. Yeah. You can, you can watch it online and, and write at the same time. You know, you can, you know, I can give you a hint, you know, that says do this, you know, develop your keynotes, mm -hmm. keywords, you know, I got yeah. that up there and it's got, you know, how to do the keywords and you can do it while you're reading it. See, that's cool. I like this. I look forward to this. Are you going to send it to me? Will you send it to me? I'm sorry. Will you send it to me when you're done? Sure. I'll send you a link. It. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be too um, big to send. It's going to be used. Yeah, right. File. <laughs> yeah. Um, you should write a book. That's what everybody says. I should write a book. People uh, probably come up to you and say, I've always wanted to write a book, Hank. Yep. And then expecting you to sort of get them started. But it's all there. It, it is there. Yeah. I love it. One more book. You got to do one more book, Hank. There's got to be one yeah. more book in you. I got two that I got half done and I stopped writing because I got bored with them. Really? Yeah, two nonfiction books. Oh, that's fun. I got tired of writing books. I write a lot. That's of amazing. Books. They're fun, but I just 
tired of writing books. Hmm. It gets to be it's a graphics. It is. Wild. It is interesting though to look at this this <clears throat> new new world. I mean, uh, this whiteboarding stories, and I like those animated stories that sort of do script and and everything in a video and and allow you to see things unfold. I mean, it really is the uh, quite visionary to look at storytelling in that way, as opposed to the old school way, which was on the paper in the audiobook or yeah. in a movie. Right. Um, yeah. This is kind of halfway in between all of them. Yeah. I figured it was a good opportunity to learn something new and to, it's a challenge. It is I a challenge. want to do it. Good. Well, we look forward to an update. Absolutely. Is there a place where we can send? Because I know our audience here, we call them shift heads, by the way, because it's the shift. <laughs> so we call them shift heads. Um, is there a place I can send them to learn more about, you know, Hank's stuff? Yeah. And uh, and find your, some of your books? Because I, I, I promise you, myself included, um, people are going to uh, want to know, um, well, I've always wanted to write a book. Where do I get started? Yeah. Well, yeah, I got a website you can go to. It's uh, Writer's Arc. W-R-I-T-E-R-S-A-R-C.com. Okay. Writers, 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 writers and Authors Resource Center. Nice. And I got a okay. lot of stuff on there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm going to uh, I am going to share that at shiftheads.ca on our Facebook group, and everyone can have access to that, and that'll give you access to Hank. And I really appreciate this. I It's such a refreshing look at writing to hear the real stories about um, – about all of it, including the fact that you've now written enough. I think that that's also valuable. Yeah, I know. You know I keep thinking about what am I going to do next? Yeah. What am I going to do? I'm not going to watch daytime TV. So what am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> well, politics is only so much fun. You might as well keep doing something creative, right? Yeah. I love it. Um, thanks for being here, Hank. I really appreciate uh, it. I, this was fun. I really enjoyed it, Shane. Thank you for having me. This is The Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? This premise is quite simple. Fun stories, serious stories, scary stories. Share your thoughts. 877-399-9898. Are you okay with? House guests. Oh. I uh, I haven't had a house guest in any of my apartments just because they're too small to have people stay over. But I have very fond memories of uh, when I was a kid, when grandma and grandpa would come and stay over. My uncles, you know, like I th that was a lot of fun. And I kind of look forward to being able to let people stay in my place for a time. Not not for too long, you know, mm -hmm. just for a weekend or something. Sounds nice. Mm -hmm. It's nice. I like having people around. It's kind of cool to to be able to sort of open up the house and and have you know a couple people around. It's kind of always weird yeah. in someone else's shower. I find. Yeah, the shower, and you can never figure out how hot is hot, how cold is cold, and what button to press to not make your you know make your shower a nightmare. Yeah, a hotel shower is a hotel shower. Somebody else's shower is kind of some kind of weird. You know. Yeah, it's the way it's sort a of very goes. good point. Hotels mm -hmm. are always easy, but not that. Mm -hmm. But it is, it, it's a nice gesture when someone could come over and just kind of hang out and visit. A family in BC went on vacation to Mexico and found someone actually moved into their home uninvited. And that someone was a goat. Uh, we got home early on the 22nd from Mexico. 
And as we were unloading the car, I looked up and in the shop window, I saw an animal chewing on the plastic in the window. And uh, so I went and opened the shop door and out came this big goat. Yeah, it, it was, I, we had no idea what to do at that point. So what happened next? How did you get it out of the house? Did it stay for very long? But we had it for three days. Uh, we just rehomed it to a farm in Hickson. But uh, we went to the neighbors trying to find it a home. We posted on Facebook. Like, nobody came forward with this goat. We thought as soon as we let it out, it would just travel home. But it would go to the end of our driveway, come right back. Like, it just made itself right at home. So we got some hay from the neighbors. We went and bought it some oats. Uh, we had no idea how to take care of a goat. <laughs> we thought for sure somebody would come right away, but nothing. You kind of documented some of the activities the goat did during uh, its stay. Uh, let's talk about kind of what, some of the things that it did when it was kind of, uh, you know, staying around and living in the home. Oh, it was trying to get into the house every chance it got. And anytime we'd leave the house, it was trying to get in the door. Um, we have our one window open in our bedroom and the hot tub is right underneath it. So it was climbing on the hot tub, trying to get into the window. Like it just wanted to be with us. That's cute. Wanted to be with us. That's Krista Dow, by the way, from Global. Um, Tanya Mould said she's terrified of goats. Wait, that's a story in itself. Valid. I would say fear of goats is valid. Why would you be afraid of a goat unless you've had a negative experience with a goat? You wouldn't be. Well, it's most likely due to a negative experience, but, uh, you know, their eyes, goats' eyes always creep me out. Like, this, the rectangle yeah. in the middle, like, that always freaks me out. Uh, uh, when was the last the time you stared a goat in the eyes? Uh, well, I live in the city, so yeah, I don't have to deal with that. The last I do time have to I hear the goat, screams. I was you in Salmonar, B.C., there was, uh, I was at the market and uh, there was a goat there and it was licking the sidewalk. So I don't understand how that's scary. Licking. Yeah, no, for the most part, goats are not, are not, are not scary animals, but you know, They're maybe jumpers, she's not though. terrified of goats anymore. Mm. I would hope so. Seemingly Gordo was not scared of Tanya though. He made multiple attempts to get back inside the house. Why wouldn't you? Even tried climbing through a window. Gordo has since been relocated and rehomed to a nearby farm. Uh, they didn't explain how he got in, though. No, I, I don't know if they know. And I have a sneaking suspicion that Gordo is kind of he's going to make a return. You think so? I think Gotta Gordo's going to try to find a way to come back. Absolutely, unless it's like the best home, like the best farm in the world, or you know. Yeah, well, we, if he actually went to a farm and not a, you know, the other type of farm where Gordo is, you know. Chops? Yes. Ah, there it is. <laughs> yes. Dinner! Yeah, there All it right. is. All right. Are you okay with expensive hotels? I know where this is going. I mean... Who <laughs> who doesn't like staying in a nice hotel? It's uh, it's it's nice. I mean, I have I've, I've I've because my dad traveled so much. He has 
ridiculous amounts of points with a lot of hotels. So I can usually like get that same discount. So I'm very privileged and very grateful in that regard. But at the same time, when I'm like on my own, I, I would say I have as many fond memories of staying in like a nice hotel than me and my buddy driving to Edmonton, staying at a truck stop hotel to see Metallica, where the bathtub was like, um, you know, like the, everything in the bathroom was red. Like it was a red toilet, red bathtub. Mm -hmm. The curtain seemed like it was the same one from like 1975. I have fond memories of those too. So, you know, I, I like the the cheap hotels and I like the fancy ones. Oh, the fancy ones are the best. There's nothing yeah, better than a Weston bed, though. Oh, I know. The so West, yes, there is something about the Weston bed. I stayed at a Weston for the first time in my life recently, and the bed was insane. Like You, you can buy those beds. You can. Where? Yeah, they have a store. <laughs> you can buy. You can buy all of them. How much do How much do you think a Weston bed sells for? I don't know. I, you can Google it while I tell this story, and then you can yeah. tell us in a second. Okay, let's do it. Uh, I love expensive hotels. Absolutely. Yeah. I really love staying in them for free. Oh, look. Last fall, the prime minister faced criticism for his expensive trip to London. Well, he... Let me rephrase that. Last fall, the prime minister faced criticism for singing songs in the lobby of a hotel on a piano and his expensive trip to London for Queen Elizabeth's funeral. When the prime minister spent $6,000 for one hotel room per night in London, and then spent that evening singing up a storm and partying in that fancy hotel lobby. It was really an analogy for his whole government. A half trillion dollar party with other people's money, and Canadians got the hangover. Million and a half visits in one month to the food bank. The fastest rising interest rates in 30 years. Fastest inflation in four decades. When will the government realize that Canadians are out of money? And the party's over. Yeah. Now, through freedom of information requests, we can confirm that the PM did spend five days in London. And there was these rumors around that somebody spent the time in a very expensive hotel room. And it was the prime minister, they have now said, stayed in a hotel room at $6,000 a night while he was there. In a statement to the CBC, the Prime Minister's office said hotel prices surged significantly ahead of the funeral, and many London hotels were sold out as 500 heads of state and their delegations descended on the city. Right now, the exact same suite, just so you know, would cost $8,000 a night. So, descending on the city. And not to mention, the Prime Minister didn't have to stay in that hotel room. He could have let a staff member stay in that hotel room. Right? He could have. Yeah. I mean, like it's I it's frustrating it's frustrating. I get it. I don't know if 6000 seems like a lot. I'm curious about like when the prime minister travels just to, to a standard like anywhere around the world, what is the protocol for picking a hotel room and uh you know, the prime minister wants to stay here but no we can't stay here cuz they can't have the same security like i feel like there's a lot of thought that goes into stuff like that but at the same time the six thousand dollars at the i think it was called the river suite is uh is a bit much it's, uh, i think you're confusing think the prime minister with a president um the prime minister travels uh, boris johnson when he went on his honeymoon he flew coach so when he so he's the was at the time the prime minister of the UK right 
he flew coach to Spain for his, um, for his. Now, surrounded by police and Secret Service, I'm sure there's a lot of tickets in coach for that. I know that most of the premiers fly coach. In fact, my flight back from Ottawa last time I was there was uh, Daniel Smith, the Alberta premier, was sitting in the row in front of me. And so, uh, surrounded by police, though. Um, her assistant and a couple of police officers. So, the you know, there's a few tickets involved in all this. But if you really want to get mad at all this, Google Justin Trudeau's vacation costs. When he goes on vacation, there's a lot of things that have to happen. There's got to be RCMP that come. There's got to be the communications people just in case something happens while he's away so we can have secure communications back to the military people, all that stuff. So there's lots of things that have to go on. And some politicians, including federal level around the world, they travel still commercial for their vacations. Uh, not in Canada. They fly on military aircraft. But $160,000 was the last one. I think $200,000 in the fall. This is the same prime minister who is uh, force-feeding carbon taxes down our throats and putting on more air miles than anybody has flying around, including uh, Kitchener to Toronto one day, I believe, is on the record. So, yeah, $6,000 a night for a hotel room that seems pretty much on par for what uh, our prime minister is willing to spend. Interesting. I, uh, while, while we were talking about money, I did find out how much a Weston bed costs. If you're oh, wondering. how much does a Weston bed cost, right? A West, if, if you bought a queen, actually, okay, no, no, no. We're not going to buy a queen. We're going to get a king. Like, let's be honest. If you're going to get a Weston bed, you're going to get a nice Weston bed. I feel like you should uh, stop saying we, but okay. Okay, yeah, sorry. I think it's more <laughs> just like you and I would both like separate... <laughs> Weston beds. Okay, we're Ernie and Bert now. Okay, got it. Yes. Hey, Bert. Okay, so that would cost mm. you $4,600 for a standard uh, box spring as well with it. That's no bedding. That's just the mattress. So about just under five grand. Um, for king. Honestly, worth it. I don't think I'll ever be able to spend that much money on a mattress, but... If I was, it's, it's a pretty damn good mattress. I had a friend buy one. Really? One yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Was it the it. same at home as it was in the hotel? Same. Same. That's same. Yeah, same. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, da, 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 da. Do you have a particular one you want to do here? Right? Or do you want to go, go shorts or whatever? Even the bungee jumpy one. That one's pretty quick. It's pretty Ooh. funny too. Are you okay with? gravity <laughs> yes i am okay with gravity keeps me keeps my feet planted yep keeps me keeps grounded. grounded well a uh a death-defying stoony <laughs> i'm not sure how how close? Well, I can tell you what happened. T and Y are very close. Side They're beside side. each other on the keyboard. So that's where that typo came from. Yeah, no kidding, eh? All right. Well, um, I have good news for you that my um, my sound effect buttons broke. Ah, oh, sweet. I can do it. Yep. That's a typo. Oh, very good. Well done. Thank you. So a uh, stunt, a death-defying stunt that involves a person jumping from a great height while connected to a large elastic cord is bungee jumping. Our prime minister's done it. 
I can't say that, Shane. Don't think that. Anyway, a viral video shows what happens when a bungee goes wrong. A tourist in an adventure park in Thailand was convinced by his friends to try bungee jumping. That decision led to him jumping off of a bridge in a near-death experience as the cord snapped during the descent. Thankfully, the man took a plunge in a body of water. <laughs> That's it, Thud. Well, there's a lot of swearing right after, and it's it's also a lot of dead silence because they're not sure if their friend just died bungee dumping, which he did probably not shouldn't, die. Probably yeah. shouldn't call it dead silence, just saying, so you know. <laughs> Come on. Hmm? Yeah. Um, footage of the incident shows the man in free fall when the bungee cord wrapped around his feet, of course, tied to his feet, stretches out, then snaps mere milliseconds before the end of the descent. Mike's body slams into the water at high speed. The staff from the park helped Mike out of the water, and he was rushed to hospital to make sure he was okay. The founder of the park confirmed the accident, noting the park reimbursed Mike for his ticket and his medical expenses in Thailand. That's nice of them, isn't it? Yeah, and they're... I I didn't describe the injuries because they were gross. Like, they were not. Oh, were they? It didn't look like he were, hit that hard, actually. He hit it hard. He ended up getting really severe bruising, as, and he got, like, uh, an infection that was, uh, like, pretty large. And so what happened was he got treatment wow. in Thailand that helped, and then he, also he went got to the back home to Hong Thailand. Kong. Yeah, but no. So he got treated in Thailand, and then yeah. he... Uh, had an infection start when he got back to Hong Kong that was from the an injury to his armpit from the cord, which cut him. And then so he had to get another treatment in Hong Kong, which apparently the owner of that adventure park said that he would also pay for that treatment as well. So yeah, at least they're being good about it, not lawsuit. Don't sue me if I ever heard it. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, so that's nice. The, um, the, uh, it snapped right when he was at the water though. He didn't, it's not like he fell hundreds of feet. No, he did not. No. It slowed him down, slowed him down, slowed him down. Then that it snapped. Then so dang. I was more worried about the whipping of the cord to be honest. Yeah. Which did, uh, yeah. Which was that I will never do bungee jumping. Cause I, one of my friends growing up, uh, his, uh, dad broke three, uh, vertebrae while bungee jumping Whoa. in Peru. Yep. yep. Really? Took him like 10 years to recover. Yeah. And this story cements my totally fine not bungee jumping. Whoa. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 